Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. Followers, maybe I'll get off. <laughs> I don't know, man. You're you're the guy everybody likes. So, um, well, cool. So, uh, Coach, how did how did coaching find you? So we started just official. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah, we can record now, but, um, yeah, so we're, I can edit it afterwards and we'll do, I'll do okay. an introduction on the back end. but, well, um, you know, I got to start a certain way now. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. So, so talk to me a little bit now. What's the name of the podcast? Sure. It's the uh, coach Cahill show. And, uh, bas- basically it's about helping high school parents, players, and coaches better navigate the college process. All right, so it's coach. It's coach. It's coach Kale. Cahill. So, yep. Cahill. All right. Yep. All right. Here we go. I'm ready now. Hey, right. Coach Kale, podcast baby. Here we go. <laughs> Two clap. Ready? Ready? Love Let's it. Let's go. All right, awesome. Question. I'm ready, Brennan. All right. So usually most guys who end up being coaches, you know, kids dream of being quarterback or linebacker or something in the NFL, and not always, but usually coaching kind of stumbles into you and rather than you finding it. So how did you first discover football coaching? Uh, great question. You know, I thought I was going to be a, you know, division one player, you know, like everybody else, I had all these great aspirations. Right. So wow. I'm an all, I was a freshman, all conference, you know, in junior college, right. Offensive lineman. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm six one and I weigh 230 pounds. Mm-hmm. How am I going to go division one? Right. But I, Hey, I thought I was, you know, and so during my sophomore year in the fifth game of the season, um, in the fourth quarter, you know, I, I blew out my knee, total ACL, MCL, meniscus, the whole nine, right? And so there goes your dreams. But I didn't believe it, right? I still thought I was going to make it. I thought I was going to make it back for the bowl game. I'm working out every day. You know, I'm doing everything. But back then, remember, that was 1978. So you're, um, you're in a cast for six weeks. I was actually in a cast for eight weeks. So you're in a cast. Then you could get out of the cast, you know, not only can you, as your leg atrophied, you can't, there's no range of motion, but I swear to God, I'm going to run. Right. So I'm, I'm in the pool every day. I'm working out, trying to make it happen. And I get back, but of course I wasn't back for the season. Um, and then I get a scholarship offer to go to Eastern New Mexico. All right. You know, I'm not, before I get a letter from San Diego state university, of Oregon, now they're sending me letters just because I made all conferences alignment. They don't, they really can't know that I'm six one, 230 pounds. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I don't know any better. I think I'm going, but anyways, I get this finally it comes, I'm not getting any scholarships and I get this one from Eastern New Mexico. But the problem was I rehabbed and got back so quick. I actually kind of messed my knee up again. Hmm. And so I had to get another operation. Right. So, you know, barely six months after I'm back under the knife in June. And so the, the Eastern New Mexico, hey, no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you in in the spring, right? So we'll give you, you know, fall off, rehab, and we'll bring you in. It's all right. So I go, you know, I, I'm telling my offensive line coach at San Diego Mason, Charlie Pope, a great guy. He says, well, you're not just going to hang around and do nothing. Go over to this high school. They need a high school, you know, offensive line coach. So it was Sarah High School in San Diego. Mike Williams was first, or first or second year as the head coach. Because school had only been in existence maybe three years, four years, right? And – so I'm the offensive line coach. We, we end up making it to the playoffs. I loved it. You know, Brandon, right now, I, I, I like, this is it, right? So I've had two knee operations in less than a year. 
I can barely, you know, move my leg. You know, there's no range of motion. Um, my nephew is, you know, like five years old. I can't even catch him. I can't even run and catch him. I'm like, yeah, I ain't playing football no more, but I really love coaching. So I guess you would say I fell into it in essence, but that's when I decided I wanted to coach and I had such a blast. So, you know, now, you know, I coached two years in San Diego, transferred up here to Cal State Hayward. And then I coached up at, you know, at Skyline for 22 years. I did 17 at, at Skyline. So, I mean, at Laney right now. Mm. So 41 and years. 41 years, man. That's awesome. And I think, I think your energy is, I mean, obviously if you watch last chance, you people can pick up on your energy. Um, what is it about coaching that you find so satisfying that you can't find anywhere else? Wow. You know, one is, I'm a competitor, right? So I want to, I want to compete to win. So there's that winning aspect of it, you know, like the game winning to win a game or whatever, but really it's winning in life. Right. So if I can change somebody and make something positive out of someone's life, that's tremendous. Right. Um, and it's, and it's that difference that you make, right. I was fortunate. My dad was in my life. My mom was in my life. They were solid, but even, even so I had great parents that were real solid and, you know, I, 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 you know, that love me and they were there every day. Thank you. Um, the, the problem, you, can you see my, the walk, if I left the walkie talkie down there, it might be at the counter right where yeah, you were at. Yeah. I apologize. I'm multitasking. No, don't worry about it. Um, you know, but I got in trouble in high school and my high school football coach who was actually our JV coach, got me out of trouble, made a big difference to my, in, in my life. And so, you know, that's kind of what, kind of I didn't think it was going to be that but when I started coaching is that kind of what happened right you started to make a difference and then I was teaching here in Oakland and coaching and, and teaching and you just start to make a difference in the whole community right and you know we would go to these basketball leagues that we had in Oakland they're called uh, guide right league and it's every Friday night at Havens Court which is a junior high right in the middle of the hood we're surrounded by the village you know where you know all the dealers and everybody hung out. But on that Friday night for the game, everybody was cool in the game. You could go, anybody could be at the game as long as you know you was right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yep. And my wife and I would be in there and I, we looked around once, we kind of noticed like we're the only others in the whole gym. Mm. But it didn't matter because everybody treated us with respect because they, they, they appreciated that I was there, right? That I was showing up. They didn't care what color I was. They just cared that I show up Friday night for the game and coach. And that's when I knew I could make an impact. Right. And so that making that impact kind of keeps you young. Right. Here, here's the other thing people always ask. Right. So when you think of yourself, how old are you right now? Uh, 30, 30. Do you feel 30? Do you feel like you're still 18? How do you, you know, what is what, what in your mind? What do you see? Oh, my mind. I think I'm, you know, 21, but I just had a kid. So I feel like I aged a decade in a year. <laughs> sure. Okay. But for me, yeah, like, yeah. I don't, you don't think you get older because so I was teaching junior high five years. Right. So the junior high kids are still the same 11 to, you know, 13, 14. Right. So that, that, that doesn't change. Then you're doing, I'm coaching high school football. And so they're 14, to 18. They, they keep changing, but they still 14 to 18. Yeah, you don't realize right. you age, right? Because you're in that same group. And then now I'm doing JC community college, right? And now they're between 18 and 24, 25. So you don't realize you're aging because you're staying in that same group. So mm. it keeps you young, right? And yeah. you got to keep your energy or they're going to wear you out. You mm. know? Yeah. No, and, and it's funny. So I teach high school. I've coached football a little bit too. And 
um, yeah, kids say this, you know, they stay the same age, but you keep getting older. And, but I am curious. So, you know, kids, they come into you about the same age, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you've coached quite a few, you know, quite a few years and I'm curious, is there any, you know, have you, and there's kind of like this chicken or the egg question in football, you know, uh, are, have kids really changed or, or are, are coaches just not getting with the times? And I'm, I'm curious, like, have you, one, have you seen kids change? And then, you know, two, have you felt like you've had to adjust your coaching style over the years? I would say that, I don't know, if we, we always say kids have changed, but are, have we changed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because, you know, a, a 16, or in this case, an 18, 19, kid's still the same, right? He wants a division one scholar, he wants this and wants that. And so that hasn't changed. They still have the same issues at home where they have a parent or no parent, they have food insecurity or housing insecurities, right? That hasn't changed. You know, are they battling bad elements at home? You know, they've been marginalized as students, as human beings, right? That hasn't changed. What I think has changed though, is my patience level has maybe gotten better or worse in certain ways, you know, you know, like, are you willing to deal with it? I think the other thing that has changed to me, what I think has is social media. And because of social media, what I say that and that is a negative or a positive is that there's instant gratification, right? If you get a whole bunch of likes, all of a sudden, you know, it's like happening. So kids want that like right now. I think parents have become over um, zealot in how they want their, how they perceive their children to be. They used to trust you, right? That, you know, that you're going to do right now. They just move you to somebody else. You're doing their, you're doing Johnny wrong or Janet wrong. And it's like, really, am I, you know, maybe your kid's just not good enough possible. Right. And so that's been kind of an issue, I think, for people, for me, because I coach in the inner city, you know, for a lot of it's a curse. Right. One, people complain, well, you don't have parental support. You got to do it right. There's no parental support. Yeah. Here's the other piece. though. Yeah. There's no problem because there ain't no parental support. Right. There's not all these parents, (laughs) you know, on you because Johnny's not playing right I'm in the booster club meeting I'm giving all this money you're not playing my kid Mm -hmm. well I got a booster club right so that's not an issue too so I want to say that kids probably have changed some but I think as society how we are allowed to deal with kids has changed a lot Mm -hmm. right you can't you know everybody gets a trophy now right everybody gets you know really you didn't earn it just because you showed up or you showed up sometimes you know where, what happened today that you show up every single day and you earn the right to play? Now they want to play right away and they want to be able to miss, right? Parents said, well, he had to go do this or he had to go do that. Well, that's fine, but he's not going to play because he missed and they struggle with that, right? Well, that's not fair. Why isn't it fair? Hmm. You know, it's fair is that the other kids showed up every day. How can I have a team if everybody picks and choose when they come? Sure. Right. Well, they have legitimate reasons why they can't be there, but it's still not the same. Like if you don't go to your job, you might have a legitimate reason not to be at your job. They're not paying you. You don't get paid that day. So I think those are the things that you have to work with parents on or what I hear. At our level, it's really, you know, because of FUPER and all those, uh, uh, whatever, I call it FUBAR, but you know, the the rules that say that we can't give information because they're 18, right? So I tell a parent, can't legally tell you anything hmm. and I tell the kid if your parent asked me about your playing time I'm cutting you on the spot because this is not high school where you get you know this is college so sure. I don't I deal with you I coach you not your parent and I think if if parents are listening is that you got to trust the coach you know you got to trust the coach is going to do what's best for your son or daughter 
right? In the long run, not the short run, but the long run. Sure. And we don't always see the long game. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, and I, um, I, I taught in New Haven for a couple of years uh, in the city and then I've taught in the suburbs and it's like two totally different parent responses and it's good in some ways and bad in, the, in another way in both settings. But, um, you know, it, it seems like, you know, especially if you look at the, the transfer portal right now for basketball and football, you have almost 10,000 kids in the transfer portal. Um, and, you know, I, I, kids do transfer for legitimate reasons, but it, it's almost like parents have turned into almost uh, like a concierge service kind of shepherding their kids through everything. And it's tough. I get it. You know, you, you will you want your kid to make their own call, but at the same time, you know, Johnny doesn't know what he doesn't know. Uh, but I think instead of seeing coaches as like the enemy, you like, why not partner up at least at the high school level or youth level more? Well, I, I agree, you know, and, but we, we, again, you know, you pay off. So sports has become a moneymaker, right? Mm. What happens, I got coached, I played baseball, basketball, football growing up, right? And where the coach was the neighborhood guy, whoever it was, right? Someone's dad, right? Very good coach. I, I played with some really good, I got really well coached by young, young folk when I was young. But now you pay money to coach, right? I mean, people pay you to coach. And so now that you leave team A to play team B, but you're paying team B or team B is sponsored by Adidas or this is a Puma commercial going on by Puma, whoever, right? And, but it's like, you know what, we haven't earned that, you know, we're just giving it to them. And so we start to tell kids like, oh, they're going to leave team A to go to team B because they got better shoes. Hmm. But are you learning enough? Right. You know, and I'm close with Damian Lillard, right? He went to Weber for God's sake. Right. Steph Curry, who I watched with the Warriors, right. He went to Davidson. They didn't care. Look where they're at. They're two of the most premier players in the NBA. It didn't matter where they went to school. They got coached. They were overlooked. They didn't play on the coolest teams or whatever, growing up, whatever, right? But they had a skill set that got better and better. They went to a place that made them better, right? And I would also say that they went to a place that made them better men, not just better players. Isn't that what we want as well for society? Sure. Yeah, and I think that brings me to the next question, which is what do you think is the biggest misconception that you have to clear up for parents and players during the uh, recruiting process, either as kids are coming to Laney or transferring out and going on to, you know, whatever school uh, they've gotten recruited from out of your school. My biggest thing is it's gotta be a fit. Do you feel comfortable here? Right. So, you know, 18 million people saw what I look like on TV now, you know, worldwide TV, that's who I am. Right. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not putting up any show. This is who I am. I, you know, my coaches get mad sometimes when we're recruiting because I tell the kid, you know, and the parent the truth. And so will they come to Laney? Because I'm gonna coach you hard. I'm not promising you a starting job. I'm gonna promise you an opportunity to start. That's it. I'm gonna promise you an opportunity to get worked hard. That I'm gonna work your tail off, right? I'm gonna give you an opportunity to be given the best academic support that you can ever ask for. And I'm going to help you become a man. You want those things, come to Laney. But if you want me to give you a starting job, I don't give anything away. I don't even give my daughter something free. You know what I mean? They got to earn it. Now, my granddaughter, she gets whatever she wants. Not, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah you've I mean, earned it. I mean, my daughter's work for everything. Sure. And, and you, I mean, looking at your coaching style on Last Chance You and, 
you're, you're very real with kids and it's interesting. I think what makes the show or makes your coaching style so compelling is that it's almost as if you need a permission slip to give a kid a high five in a high school these days. And I think younger coaches, and we have a lot of young coaches that listen as well. I think they're afraid of having difficult conversations with kids up front. Um, what is your philosophy on having difficult conversations with your players? So they have to hear the truth, right? Sure. Um, and I think we forget that because at some point they've been, you know, what, what's the term helicopter parent, right? Yep. Bubble parent, right? You're not doing your son or daughter any good by hovering all the time because at some point the life is going to really hit them. Right. And then what do you do when they hit adversity? Right. It's okay. If you fall down, right. You're going to fall down. The question is, can I, equip you so that you can pick yourself back up do i do a do a good enough job to help you stand back up brush yourself off and go again right we don't we we don't allow kids to fail and they have to fail sometimes to understand how to succeed not always but you know i mean there there's something that has to happen you know in the show we talk about ray and shawnee right the brothers you know Mm -hmm. that and Shani just went in the third round, 99th pick in the NFL draft, and Ray's going to go. But both of them, their dad was shot when, you know, Shani was here, kind of not doing anything. Ray was a senior. Their dad was shot and killed. So I went to the house, and I basically told him, get your ass off the couch. They'll tell you that's what I said. I said, your dad does not want you on the couch. You're not, you're not honoring your dad by being on the couch. Get up. How do you handle adversity, Right. They both went to Oregon State, you know, Shawnee at one point, you know, like, I shouldn't leave. I want to leave coach. No, stay, work through the advert because he went from started, not playing. Right. And then he got on, started, did well. Ray goes there with all this hype. Everybody loves him. And he doesn't hardly play at all. This, this new fall abbreviated station rest, you know, I'm going to leave. No, you're not stay. He had the best spring ever. The most productive spring. He got a 4.0 GPA. And I just, you know, I was just with them right now. Like, that's what I'm talking about. You want to know what NFL scouts want to know about besides what you do on the field. They want to know, can you pick yourself up? Because you're going to get beat in the NFL. You're going to hang your head or you're going to get up and fight. We always talk about, hey, and Kevin Evans, my longtime assistant, right, he talks about this all the time. You know, everybody says you got to have dogs. You want dogs. No, you want lions. Lions eat dogs, right? <laughs> and so, you know, you need some lions out there. Are you a lion? So I'm trying to develop lions, right? Think about it. I got a young man I'm working with. He gets married. He has, you know, like you just said, you just age because you got a new a new child, right? Mm-hmm. So it gets hard. You can't sleep. Your wife, you know, you get mad at each other. Are you going to go put yourself in the transfer portal and leave? Mm-hmm. No, we got to figure it out, right? We got to figure out a way to make this work. But we've created this thing that we can run from our problem and find something better, right? Now, yeah. I do agree with this though, right? NCA shouldn't own us, right? Coaches can leave whenever, then you know what? Then players should leave too, right? But don't leave just because, oh, I'm not playing. Leave because I want to, you know, I'm do- playing so well, I want to go to a different school, a different challenge maybe, right? But, you know, but if a coach can leave, a player should. But I'm saying so many players are leaving now because they're not starting. Well, earn the starting job. If you're not starting, maybe you're not good enough. How about that? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. And that's, I think, um, yeah, it's almost like we we've kind of padded the walls of failure a little bit and kids need to feel that pinch sometimes. Uh, I don't do. think, 
yeah, I don't think coach, I don't think you wake up in the morning and say, Hey, I really want to hurt my players feelings today, but you understand that sometimes hurt egos can motivate a kid to try to change something. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, sometimes I want them to prove me wrong. Get so mad that you're going to prove me wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm going to hug you up. Right. I'm going to love you up. I'll make sure you're okay. You know, I don't have a problem with that, but that's about life. That's not about being on the field. Right. I mean, let's face it, right. We're in sports, right. It's, it's a show me, you know, thing, right. It's about we're results based. Right. Yep. You know, um, you know, you're not playing really well, but we're gonna let you try again next week. But right now you're not playing well. Right. Right. So we got, you got to play better. And, and so how did you kind of develop your ability to understand which players need an arm on the shoulder or a kick in the butt? Because everybody's so, I mean, it, I guess it's more art than science, but it seems like every coach has to kind of find their own way to that. So you said it, right? I always said this all along, you know, coaching or teaching is not a science. It's an art form, right? We have to learn how to reach our, our students, right? You're a teacher. You said, what do you teach? Uh, history. History. I've taught history before, right? How do you make that lesson come alive? How do you get them to grasp what's going on? Right. And if they get an F, aren't you failing too? Didn't you just fail? If you fail 20% of your students on a test, they didn't fail. You failed as a teacher because you didn't get that information across. Can we understand this is a two-way street? We're in this together. It's a partnership. So I got to find a way to get it so that it makes sense to you. Right. That's where I think people don't understand about teaching. Right. I got 32 kids in my class. I got to be able to reach 32 kids differently because they all learn differently. They are motivated differently. And I got to find, figure that out. The guys that are successful, the women teachers, the male teachers, whoever, who are successful have figured out how, right? We can look at all the great shows, you know, uh, Stand and Deliver or, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, high, whatever, you know, the, the different teachers that taught in different places, you know, Jaime Escalante, the math whiz in East LA, right? He found a way to reach that group. And coaches, you know, successful, you know, Coach Mosley, right? My guy Mose, right? Johnny M, man, he found a way. His way is yeah. different than my way, right? Sure. But we find a way. And that's what I think people don't understand. You can't can it. You can't package it. It's who we are. Hmm. I wish it was easy. But it's not. I wish it was just a formula you could roll out. It's not. We're not bits and bytes. You know, we're not a zeros and ones that we write a program for. Don't sure. work. It's the individuals that make it work. In your history class, there's probably three other history teachers. You probably all teach the same material, but you teach it differently because you also, it has to be who you are. Sure. Right. And when you and you talked about this on the show and. Um, you know, you're coming from San Diego up to Oakland. Um, and you mentioned this earlier in that, you know, you and your wife, you walked into the, the basketball tournament. You guys were the only others there. Um, and I remember this experience when I first started teaching in the city. I was, it was my first experience where I was the only white person in the room. And it, it, sound, and it was the first time where I kind of realized like, you know, this is what it must be like from the other side. And I, I think, you know, especially in coaching, you're going to have, I guess, like, do, do you th think that coaches today have enough uh, experience working with, I guess, diverse populations? Or, like, if you're, like, a white coach working with uh, players from Hispanic or African-American backgrounds, like, yes, like, there's the X's and O's, right? But 
I guess, how did you kind of understand the, the context that a lot of your players are uh, coming to you from when they, like their background might not be the same as yours? Well, I would say this, right? When you put that helmet on, I can't tell what you look like. Right. Right. And when we put a uniform, that's why it's called a uniform, right? We all are the same at this point. So we need to start with that. Sure. But when we, the only thing that I think we have to understand though, is that there are other things that are happening. So for instance, why you're dragging today, maybe because you haven't eaten. Right. So I need to make sure I provide, or maybe it's Ramadan. Right. And so you are fasting right now and I need to understand what that means. Right. And so those are where I think the understanding comes in, not so much, like you said, coaching the X's and O's, but understanding that there's other things that are happening. Right. Maybe just, maybe they need to just come in your office and talk. Maybe they just need a shoulder to cry on because something horrific has happened at home. Right. And then I can't raise, and you can tell sometimes when you raise your voice, how someone recoils, right? Oh, maybe they've been yelled at or hit multiple times. Maybe that's not a good way to reach that person. You know what I mean? Sure. But I would say that when you go into a, a setting where you are different, whatever that is, right? Be understanding of what that difference is, but also understand this, right? Whatever you say, do. So, what I mean is that when you say that I'm going to be there for you, when they call on the phone, will you be there, right? Or did you go on vacation? Oh, I can't, I can't really come into your neighborhood because I'm not, I don't feel safe in your neighborhood. Well, they, they have to be in that neighborhood. So you got to walk in their shoes, right? That would be the thing that I would say, you know, you go walk in their shoes, right? And then you get it, right? But I think it's just being understanding and listen, and when you listen, it's not only with your ears, but your eyes, right? If, if Jeannie comes to school every day and she got the same jeans on and they never change, maybe there's, there's only, they only got money for one pair of jeans. Hmm. Can we find a way to get her a second pair of jeans? Gotcha. Right? That was why I loved in PE, we went into uniforms, right? They had the, you know, you know, they wore their shorts and a white t-shirt. Everybody can afford a pair of shorts and a white t-shirt. White t-shirts you get at any corner store. Sure. So we, you know, you could look easy, right? But if they got the same kicks, you know, they got the, the pro wings, right? From uh, the, the, the shoe stop. Well, then we better, maybe we can find something else, right? Sure. But the point is that's why then maybe we give them shoes on the team. Or we give them an outfit on the team, right? So my deal was when I realized when I was at Skyline, I was sending kids on these division. I mean, you know, five kids a year going division one, right. And they were getting on a plane for the first time ever. I said, "Uh Oh, I need to change that. Right. So we started taking, I would take a trip a year and we put the whole team go on a plane. So it wasn't their first experience. Right. Then we would all eat out together as a team. We'd eat together, right. Break bread together at a restaurant, not fast food, but a restaurant, sit down meal right? Get them ready for it, right? Then I made them wear a shirt and a tie when we flew. Because why? If you're going on a business trip, you got to wear a shirt and a tie. Maybe not now, but back then, right? That was kind of a dress code, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Some coaches do that though. Yeah. But you know, we would wear a shirt and a tie, you know? Sure. And if you don't have a tie, I'm going to give you one, right? Mm -hmm. And if you need a shirt, I'll give you that too. But the point was to start to prepare young people for their next step in life so they sure. don't feel 
like the, like you know like you said or I said you know like we stuck out well we don't want you to we want you to understand what's happening here like this is not your first experience not your first rodeo right you've been on a college campus before right you've had a sit down meal before so when you went on the recruiting trip and they take you to a sit down dinner you kind of know how it works you know sure so I wanted to prepare everybody for that yeah and I think um you know, you're, if it's you or, or coach Mosley or the other coaches I've had on here, you know, what, what the, what the best coaches have is really, you, you have empathy, like you're, you're interested in your players. You don't see them as just commodities. And, you know, as a, as a way to, I get maybe some coaches see their teams as ladders to hop up to the next division or something like that. But um, I think those coaches are few and far between. Um, you're a mentor. I don't, to- I, I don't, I would differ. I would differ. I would say that they're probably not as few as far between as, as you think. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's why I haven't left Oakland. Moses back in the community where he played at, you know what I mean? Sure. So we believe in our communities. We believe that these communities need people like us, right? Strong role models, right? You know, someone yeah. that you can look up to. Now, have you guys connected? Now, did you guys know each other prior to the last so, chance you stuff? Yeah. So basically, so I, yes and no. So uh, I got to know Moses because of last chance you, but prior to that, so uh, he's at East LA. His, their head football coach is also the athletic director at East LA. So him and I knew each other. Hmm. And then Bobby could then, so Bobby, when we got last chance to, he was, then I found out they were going to, they were looking at them for basketball. I called Bobby and then Bobby and I started having the conversation. Then Bobby put me in touch with Moe. So then Moe's and I could start to talk a little bit about what's going on. Right. Gotcha. But I feel I'm hurt though that not hurt, but you, you pick Moe's on your show before me. I'm like, dog, got it, man. <laughs> and you said it you're a football coach. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, hopefully I can get out there and I can bring you some New Haven pizza from Connecticut or something. There you go. I used to but, go to the uh, wings place right there by Yale. Yeah. There was a great chicken wing spot there. You know the Supposedly, name of it? There, no, I don't think it's there anymore. My buddy took me when he, you know, he said, well, we got to go to this spot. This is a, this is the best chicken wings in the country. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it's weird. You know, like, uh, so I'm from New York originally. My wife's out here. You got to go where your lady is. And uh, I was, I used to live in Brooklyn and she, my wife was like, Oh, you got to try Connecticut pizza. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like it's Connecticut. Connecticut's like, you know, New Jersey just don't, you yeah. don't really think a lot of it, but people here are really passionate about their, uh, their pizza. <laughs> but, um, but um, you know, I'm curious, like, you know, you're, a, you're a mentor to a lot of your players and, you know, really good coaching is really just mentorship dressed up with X's and O's and whatnot. But um, I'm curious, who is your coach beam? Who, who was the coach that impacted you, uh, maybe in the way that you've impacted players? I would say that, you know, I would start with it be my father, right? You know what I mean? My father was there. My father was a horrible athlete, by the way. Um, but he was there, you know, and it's funny. I always laugh about this, right? When I was growing up, we're playing Pop Warner or whatever, like Little League, Little League Baseball. One of the coaches left, couldn't be there. So the team had no, no manager, no coach. So my dad goes, coaches the other team against my team. Like, wow, but they needed somebody. So he stepped in, right? When I was in Pop Warner, my dad would pick up a lot of my friends that played because they didn't have fathers, they didn't have rides. So he would pick them up to bring them to practice. But I had to get my own ride, my bike, walk or whatever, get my own way to practice. Like, dad, why is that? Well, you, you can get there. They can't. So I think that started it, you know, as far as that part of it. You know, my dad, my mom were very caring people. Always The house was always open for people to come by to eat or whatever. Right. I say on the football side though, 
I played for a guy, Bert Slater, that was one of the winningest coaches in San Diego. And his last year was my senior year. And Bert was a great coach, but he was really distant from his players for the most part, right? I mean, that you know, the, the, they didn't really have conversations with players like that. But Cove, the young JV coach, who happened to be black, also was a guy that got me out of trouble. He was always there for me. And then Charlie Popa, when I went to Mesa, was a guy that, you know, great office line coach, but really pointed me out to education, right? Because at the time, I'm thinking I'm going to be a carpenter or a tuna fisherman back then in San Diego, made big money, right? Mm-hmm. He goes, no, you're going to coach and, 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 you know, and become a teacher, right? Mike Martz was the old coordinator, so I learned a lot of football from Mike Martz. You know, again, those are those are good role models. And then the first coach I worked for, Mike Williams at, at Sarah High School, was a tremendous coach, right? And, you know, I learned so much from him about the game. Um, and so then when I came to Skyline, I took over for Tony Fardell. I'd been there a long time. Again, a long-time icon at the school, learned a lot. And then here at Laney, Stan Peters was here 40 years before I got here, right? So, again, I've been around guys that, you know, not necessarily I wanted to do it their way, but they showed me ways that can be done, right? But they all had longevity, you know, and I think that's the other part, you know, like I'm not so many guys are looking for the next job, right, the next bigger job. This is the biggest job, right? Making an impact on a young person to me is the biggest job that you can have. You know, we're, we're helping shape and mold the next generation. You can't. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Right. Or I want my legacy to be my legacy's in the hundred kids I coach a year or, you know, back, think about it. When I was teaching PE before I got here, I was teaching 52 kids a period, five periods a day, wow. right? 260 kids I taught, you know, touched every single day for 22 years. Well, that's a lot of kids. Sure. Right. And so if I make an impact, you know, that's my legacy lives in, right. Your own children are your legacy, right. Leave a stamp. And so, you know, I feel good about who I am right now, where I'm at. Mm. The coaches are my staff or guys that played for me, right? So, again, I feel really good about that. And and do any of the – and the cool part about coaching and teaching is that, you know, usually your, your players and students end up teaching you more than you probably teach them. Oh, 100%. Is, is there – do you have a – obviously, it's going to be hard to pick, but – is there a particular player or one or two players who taught you an unforgettable lesson that you carry? No, with you? I think it's more of a conglomerate of people, sure. right. Over the years. Right. Um, that you, you put, I couldn't put one because there's so many. <laughs> right. And, and, and one of the things I'm proud to say is that I learn something new every day I teach. Right. My students are teaching me something new every single day. And I think that's important, right? Because I think it is when we're in that classroom, it's a two-way street, you know, and we, we got to be receptive to that. Right. Sure. You know, and so I think having, having a guy with ADD that as soon as we allowed him to stand up and be in the class in the back of the room, so he didn't distract other people and he could stand and move while he's learning. And now as he went from an F student to an A student, hmm. you know what I mean? Simple as that, sure. you know, something that simple. Gotcha. Um, do you have, Hey, and so uh, kind of back to the coaching, what do you think is the most common mistake young coaches make when they're trying, when they come into a new program and they're trying to establish who they are? I think the biggest one I always tell every young coach, be you. Don't be John Bean. Don't be Mose. Don't be Luke, Nick Saban, right? Be who you are, whatever that is, right? 
Um, I think guys come in two ways. They come in way too hard or way too soft, right? And so they want to try to sell some legacy. Are they are they so busy trying to, you know, coddle the kids, right, to be well-liked? I'm not here to be those kids' friends. Does that make sense? Sure. In my classroom, I don't want to be friends with them, in essence. I want to respect them and them have respect me, but I'm not trying to kick it with them. You know what I mean? Down the road, we'll kick it when you're 30 years old or whatever. But right now, you're 18. You know, we got to, we, we, there, there's a queer, there's a clear delineation of who we are. And that, so I have some young coaches right now, and I got to tell them that, hey, those aren't your friends. You know, you don't, there's only five years separating some of them in age, right? No, you got to understand that, right? There's a, you're the coach now. There's a big difference. Yeah, sure. Um, and yeah, it's funny because, like, when you're, it's almost like kids can just see through you like glass when you when you're that first year teacher or you know maybe a first meeting coach and kids kind of sense you don't know what you're doing um and it's hard and in some sense like that first day first year teacher they're just like you know the 14 18 year old kids who they're trying to teach who also don't know who the heck they are um yeah i look looking back at my teaching career like man like that whole first year it's just every week i was trying on a different hat seeing what worked seeing what didn't work and you know, coaching is kind of like that. And yeah, same thing, right? So think about this, right? Your first year teacher in the classroom, right? Just how you dress that first day, right? It's, you're like, how does that set the tone, right? Did you show up wearing a tie? Did you show up wearing, you know, khaki shoe pants? At least in coaching, you got to wear your coaching shirt and short. You know what I mean? So at least sure. you had a uniform. But as a as you walk in that first class, I'm like, uh, what do I wear? You know? <laughs> and you know, I and I never you know, for me, it was a little different because I remember when I start, started in Oakland, you know, I was substituting. And so I had a Puma bag, actually. And kids just were struck because this is now remember, this is early 80s, right? No one had bags with the logo on it. So that just gave me cred, like, OK, you know, <laughs> I had a nice pair of Nike tennis shoes. Like, man, who did this guy get going? Right. So, you know, you, and I didn't realize that would make a difference. But I needed a bag to carry my stuff in as I went because you got to have multiple things ready to teach. Sure. Uh, so it was an, it's an interesting thing. You know, that first impression does make a lot of, you know, who you are. Um, right. I think it's so important. Now, do you have, and I asked this question of uh, Coach Mosley, and I'm, I'm always curious, like, do you have, did you have like a, I'm curious, what was maybe your kind of your spiritual upbringing like, if you did have one, because everybody's a little bit different. And then how does that kind of inform your coaching style? So I didn't, right? So, you know, I know Moses is very religious, right? Sure. You know, big Christian man. And I'm not, right? That's not who I am, right? Um, I didn't grow up going to church. Um, you know, uh, in fact, I think I went to church. You know, you could probably count him on maybe both hands, but probably one hand, you know, how many times I went to church as a kid, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't have a spirituality to sure. me. Right? That I don't believe a higher being, right? Um, and then there's a certain thing about, you know, like, hey, do on to others, you want others to do on you, you know what I mean? There's a, that, that golden rule, I, I believe in that, right? And, uh, almost in a sense of karma, in essence, right? But at the same time, I didn't. Um, but I did coach at Skyline for a long time with Jerry Cook, my uh, defensive coordinator. And he was a big time pastor at one of the bigger churches here in Oakland. And he used to talk about all the time. He didn't try to convert me into Christianity or anything like that, but he just talked about a plumb line and that this plumb line would get going. He helped center me sometimes. Right. 
And that's what, you know, maybe Mo's or other people's spirituality does is help center you. And so just understanding that we need to be centered sometime with the world around us, right? And so I think that's more. And then I know that when my youngest daughter was playing, doing a lot of basketball in the Asian League, you know, we went to the Buddhist temple. And, you know, I started listening to what they had to say. And those were interesting stories, right? Um, And I just, you know, for me, religion uh, was always kind of interesting because I think so much atrocities have occurred because of religion or by the, for the, under the guise of religion, I should say, you know, and so I I didn't quite get it. Maybe I didn't understand it well enough, and I'm a big reader, right, so I I read the Bible. I tried to read the Bible, you know, to try to understand what it was trying to say, Um, but I also think that, you know, what it tries to say in some ways is just, you know, be a good human being to others, right, stand up for people, right, and share your love and care and compassion for others as you want others to share it into you, and that's kind of what I try to do without having a four walls around me, maybe. Right. Mm. Um, but I know religion is big in this, the, in Oakland, the community that I started teaching at. So I went to a lot of churches when I started teaching in Oakland, right? Because the kids went to churches and they would ask me to come, you know, Hey, can you come to pancake for you? Can you come see this? And I thought that was important for me to support my students outside of school and outside of teams. Sure. So I would do that. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if you hear guys like George Mumford or, you know, it it definitely seems like, you know, every coach has to find a way to recharge and um, how they've, I don't think any coach would coach unless they were naturally optimistic about seeing the potential in kids. And, um, and where does that optimism comes from? Well, it comes from your belief systems to some extent. Um, And you, you mentioned that you, you read books. I'm curious, do you have any like top three book recommendations? Well, I like, I like uh, fiction. I like, like historical fiction, like James Clavell, Shogun, Taipan, mm. Noble House, right? Yeah. I like, I like uh, uh, um, Grisham, you know, I like the law, you know, like uh, uh, Pelican Brief and, mm. and uh, things like that, Rogue Lawyer, Street Lawyer, um, Espionage stuff, you know, those are all good to me. I like that, you know, I like stuff that about, you know, spy stuff and the, you know, the Cold War. Um, things of you know so kind of historical action fiction espionage type thing yeah but i I read every night you know i read i read two papers a day Uh, i believe in reading right i think that knowledge is the king right so i want to know what's going on around the world and and within my own community yeah yeah and it's you know you just don't see a lot of kids reading as much as they i mean maybe they're reading like you know textbooks online or whatever but yeah there's nothing just like that'll slow you down just like a hard copy book at night or uh, that's how i fall asleep but um yeah i got and, so many paperbacks i remember one time we did a garage sale i think i had like you know it seemed like a hundred thousand dollars worth of old books or whatever <laughs> like, you know of course no one pays you for me you pay eight right. nine twelve dollars and you're selling for 50 cents a book or so all right hey, take them all just take them out of here i know my I, i'm afraid my wife's gonna get rid of some of my books my dad's got like fifty thousand comic books logged and bagged and Oh he's, yeah. He's got a little bit of an issue there, but, um, what are you, I want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on an hour here. And, um, two last two questions. What are you most excited about this upcoming season? Just to get back and compete, you know, yep. to get back to see what the young men can do <coughs> with challenges that they've seen, right. Just having them on the field and gear this spring has been for a year. They haven't been right. It was, Tremendous to see how their spirit had rose, right? The smiles in their eyes, 
little bit in their face, but that mass, you couldn't totally see it, but you could just see that, right? What a difference it makes. And, you know, I think the pandemic was just a, a natural depressor on folks, right? And we needed to find a way to lift that weight off them. And get, getting back to some normalcy was the key. Mm. And so now the next step is to start back for us to compete, right? To challenge ourselves every day so that we have a test every week, which is that game, and to see where we all can be at. So I'm kind of ex- really excited about that. And, and then last, last question, you know, hundred years from now, when you're looking back, telling your grandkids how awesome you were as a coach, um, what would be the one thing you'd want your players to remember about their experience with you? Being around coach Bean, he never lied to me and he made me laugh. Mm. Awesome. And I challenge you every day to be better or just challenge you every day, right? In some aspect of your life. You know, from the quarter game I play with them to me on the bench and, or, you know, challenge them in something in, in, the, in the classroom, but there's a challenge, right? Gotcha. Awesome. Hey, we'll, we'll cut it right there then. How, how does Moe's get – I mean, is that because – I mean, what's the deal? Did last chance you basketball better last chance you Laney? I mean, come on. No, now. no. You know, honestly, I just uh, – I, I came across him first on uh, – I think it was Twitter or something, and, you know, and I he had just gotten back to me. So, but, um, yeah, truthfully – like, And he's like on – he's got a blue check in Twitter. I'm like, I don't have a blue check. How come I don't get a blue check, man? Yeah, I think like, if you I just – if you just tweet out to Twitter, like, Hey, can I get a blue check from last chance you, they'll probably do it. But, um, yeah, no, you know, it's funny. I kind of just, um, I've, I've, so I kind of come from the kicking world, believe it or not, but, um, I kind of got to know some NFL guys through that and just started kind of doing podcasts with the coaches around here. But yeah, it just kind of seems like, uh, you know, coaches are, and players are eager for, a little bit of more clarity of information out there. I think every time you open Twitter, it's like the best and worst thing that ever happened, you know, but oh man, it's crazy. <laughs> but um, I think that this whole thing right now, you know, with what we're doing and, you know, for a lot of young men, right. Whether they're high school age or whatever, you know, their being is this, their physicalness, right. And they haven't been able to do it. Like, so they struggle in school. Sometimes they struggle as socially but yet they have this physical presence that allows them to feel comfortable. Sure. But the pandemic has taken that away from them, right? Totally. Yeah. And in and, and Connecticut, you know, it was, it was a kind of a shame. I mean, at least California, you guys had a spring high school season, right? They did for, yeah. I mean, five or six games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Connecticut, we had one of the lowest infection rates and they, they just canned spring ball totally. Um, just kind of a bummer, but you know, I think at least getting, hopefully, you know, things will kind of go off this year, but. Yeah. I think that, you know, my biggest thing right now is that I just want people to get to a point where they feel really, you know, that we can keep each other safe, but get back to normal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, Hey coach, I'll, I'll let you run, but if there's ever anything I can do for you, you know, please don't hesitate to ask. I won't. You take care. Thank you so much for asking me on the show. Here we go. Two claps. Ready? Ready? All right, coach. Take care, man. Bye. And here's the out. Thanks for listening to the Coach Cahill Show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. 
Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment.